Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Hello, Michael. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm well. Good. I, uh, I sound a little crappy, but I promise I, I'm in good spirits. <laughs> so I, I hope that my voice sounds better than this before we go to Vail, because I don't want to sound uh, hoarse. You were sick in Vail last year, too, remember? I was, but I did, did I sound bad? I thought I just had like a... I think you were just sick. You just stole my Sudafed. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I probably... So we're going to make our listeners suffer through two consecutive years of me with a head cold. I'll bring my Sudafed. Um, Michael, this is our 100th episode. That's crazy. Here it we are. crazy. Here we are. We've done 100 episodes. So we've been... So that means we're also near, nearly two years in. But no, we're more than past two years. Two years yeah, <laughs> it's somewhere somewhere in June was our right, two year anniversary. Right, right, right. It came and went. We didn't even we acknowledge did it and celebrate. It. No champagne. Well, we can have we'll have champagne and bail. Okay. And we'll we'll be tipsy after one sip. That's mountain <laughs> mountain life. <clears throat> That's the one good thing about not dancing in Vail is that it doesn't you can matter. drink <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're done with your work. That is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So we have a fun episode today. We're going to take a step back over the past 100 episodes, and we're going to count down our top 10 favorite episodes. And while so many moments from our time doing this podcast over the past two years have been so special to us, it was really hard for us to choose 10. It was mm-hmm. difficult. We love all of our guests, and we, we say that, you know, these these are it was very hard to narrow down and it's this is no shade to anyone that didn't make the top 10 <laughs> absolutely i think we that love everyone we wanted to definitely make it also for people who haven't maybe listened to these episodes sure um, to encourage them to go back and check them out um, right we were, we're seeking a, a variety of different you know different approaches from our guests and different uh 
subject matters. So right. we mixed it. We tried to mix it up. We did. We, we tried, but we failed towards the end. You'll see why. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to get started with our list with one of our earlier episodes. And uh, it's someone who I have been, who I've known since we were in Boston Ballet together. And he was very lucky, or we were very lucky, rather, that he agreed to come on before we were anything. And that is James Whiteside. Um, some things that make this episode notable is that it was Rebecca's most difficult editing job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we started out the episode. And this is something, this is how we learned our lesson not to say this to our guests. But because guests generally ask oh, this is going to be edited though, right? Like, what if I sound stupid or what if I, you know... Say something wrong. Say yeah. something over, you know, or, you know, and we would say, oh, and that's what we would always say, don't worry, we can absolutely edit. And James was like, oh, okay, great. But that that gave him license to curse like a sailor. Uh, that's the other lesson we learned was to remind people that we are not on the explicit list on iTunes. Right. We are mm-hmm. the family-friendly one, so... Mm-hmm. Watch that no, but James, James uh, he was hysterical. He had us crying tears of laughter. The unedited so, one is really exceptional. That's, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah, it but I, classic. I, I, I think that James was just an interesting subject because he has um, so many other outside interests, you know, from making pop music to doing drag, things that aren't things that might immediately come to mind when you think uh, – principal dancer at American Valley Theater. <laughs> right. And he posts so much of that on his um, social media accounts. He's very open about it, which is really interesting. So he is episode 15, if you want to go back in the catalog to listen to that. And here's another reason why we failed is we have a second spot for number 10 um, with Reed and Harriet, costume designers. We've had them. <laughs> we couldn't choose between. Uh, we put, put James and Reed and Harriet in, the, in a similar um category of of guests that just like you're just smiling ear to ear the whole time because they're so funny and not in they're not trying to pull your your chain or whatever you know make you they're not aiming to get laughs no they're they're just just so effortlessly hysterical yes um we love having them on they've been on twice now uh reed's been on three times so reed and harriet are in episode 21 and 84 so to definitely go back to these three um episodes for a good laugh on conversations on dance they're yeah really i want them to have their own reality show i think that would be that That would would be be so great because and that would every... be good, too, because it would be, like, about ballet, but without, like, weird drama that companies are scared of, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be good. And they I told us, them. I think it was maybe the first episode where they told <clears throat> us about a costume design that went wrong that was just such a funny story, uh, too. <laughs> that was so good. And they were so uh, open to tell us that. It was so good. Yeah, they didn't name the names. They didn't no. name the company, but that company knows exactly, exactly. who they are. <laughs> Maybe it was because it was only episode 21. They felt safe. So it's always good to go well, back. Reed always brings this up. that He he doesn't think that people listen to his podcast and it might get him in trouble. Yes, he has his, um, his own he's podcast. Pretty, well. He's pretty brazen on it. He will, I mean, on our podcast, one of my favorite things, this was in his episode with Jack Ferber, which was also great. But he said that um, the the Bolshoi and Ruby's made him want to scratch his eyes out. 
All right. Well, that brings us to our <coughs> ninth favorite episode, which is with mm-hmm. Sofiane Silv from uh, San Francisco Ballet. When we were there um, in April, we did a live event with her at the Guggenheim, and it was such a fun episode. Should at the MoMA, boo. Oh, my God. What did I say? <laughs> the Guggenheim? The Guggenheim. Ah! At the <laughs> At the Gug. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I can leave that in. That's fine. Yeah, no I'm like red, that. but no one's here, and I'm red. Um, at it's SF MoMA. At SF MoMA. And um, it was a really fun episode. Oh, she was, we we loved her. I mean, she's so she was so charismatic, but um, honest and direct. Uh, she wasn't ever going to give us, um, you know, she's not going to sugarcoat any of her answers. Uh, so. I mean, we we talked about a range of things from female leadership to her early years where she was just doing these insane programs uh, at age 14, 15, performing three principal ballets, three principal roles in in different ballets over the course of an evening. So she has a really interesting life and career. I think my favorite, we were just, so we just did an interview with the blog Ballet Bag. And Michael, you were mentioning how like... Now we've gotten to this point where we read each other's minds during interviews, which is very useful. Um, And one thing that Sofiane said was that she doesn't, when she teaches um, at San Francisco Ballet School, she doesn't show very much. And we both asked why. We were like, why don't you show? And she goes, well, the kids get distracted. And I could just feel you, Michael, like dying inside. And... And the only reason is, and it's, we're not laughing at her, we're laughing at ourselves. Like, the next time I taught ballet after that, I was, like, showing tondus and sneakers and, like, dumpy clothes. And I was just like, my kids are no, not distracted right now by no. watching me demonstrate. It's Definitely just not. so funny. It really made me laugh. But I know we um, were both having a similar moment. Like, no one gets distracted right. by us. Yeah, that's not our life. But you do you, girl. <laughs> um, so that's episode 91, if you want to go back and catch that at the SF MoMA event. Um, and again, we did a similar category here of French ladies. <laughs> <laughs> French ladies who dance with San Francisco Ballet. Right. Um, um, so go ahead. We're doing a tie. Tie. Uh, t- tie for nine. These, this is our last tie, we promise. We just couldn't pick. We really couldn't narrow it down. Um, <laughs> but Mathilde Frusti uh, was another very candid interview that uh, took place over the course of our time covering the San Francisco Ballet's Unbound Festival. And she was just so honest in ways that we had not anticipated, um, talking about, uh, you know, the culture at Paris Opera Ballet when she was there, um, how the Concorde, the way that they promote uh, dancers there, affected her life, and why she needed to come to San Francisco Ballet. You know, again, so someone who is not afraid to just be totally honest Um, and yeah, I thought, I mean, it was a really interesting interview. Uh, It exposed both of us to a culture that we haven't, you know, do not, did not have any personal experience with, obviously. Again, I I mean, can you imagine us auditioning for Paris Opera Ballet School? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that was so fascinating is hearing her talk about the process you go through to get promoted Mm -hmm. there and that you... 
um, that your peers play a part in deciding if you get promoted to us just seems so crazy and so different. <clears throat> and I know that, and that was another moment where we were both just like, are people like politicking? Is it like a thing where all the dancers are trying to become friends with people, but they don't really like them. And it's like this whole weird system in order to get people on your side. Like it must be, it seems like such a crazy atmosphere to be in. And right. It's so it's so nice to hear her talk about dancing in America and how happy it makes her and how different it is for her. And it and again, it's like some of these episodes, I think, for us, one of the reasons why they're our favorite as well is some of the um, off the record conversations we ha- had afterwards, just when we were done recording. Not that anything was like really um, groundbreaking or anything. It was just like chatting afterwards. And we mm-hmm. had such a wonderful visit with her even after. And she gave us so much of her time and. She was so sweet. We never met her before. And she was like, this just felt like sitting, talking to two f- longtime friends, you know? So it was, mm-hmm. that made it really fun for us too. Yeah. So Matilde is episode 95, if you want to go back and check <clears throat> that out. So she's a pretty recent one. Then we move on to n- our number eight pick, Julie Kent. That's such a Julie, good one. She was the first artistic director that we had ever had on the show. And she was very new into her position uh, leading the Washington Ballet. But she seemed so at home already. She knew exactly what she wanted to do. She did not sound remotely overwhelmed. She just had, like, you know, these are my plans that I'm laying out, and here's how, here is how I'm going to go about doing it, and this is what I want to accomplish with my dancers. It was very um, simple, and yeah, it seemed egoless that's that's something that appealed to us Mm -hmm. um and she just seems so naturally in that position already so at home mm -hmm. in that position when i can't imagine what it's like to step in to be an artistic director in a company especially when it's you know when artistic directors change over there's sometimes turmoil or even just like unrest with the dancers because it's so scary Mm -hmm. what's going to happen what's it going to be like and i could tell from our conversation with her that she had like this calming presence that I would imagine for the dancers there must've been very helpful um, to kind of just like, okay, she's got this. She's totally in control of what's happening and everything's going to be okay. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And we were just reminiscing earlier about um, this episode. This is one of the first ones where we didn't um, know our interviewee ahead of time. Right. At the beginning of our um, podcast journey, we would kind of ask our friends or contacts, people we knew um, to be on. And then we started just kind of cold calling people and just sending out mm-hmm. emails and trying to go through official channels. And they were so generous at Washington Ballet to um, allow us to schedule a time to talk uh, with Julie, um, especially when we were so new in what we were doing. Um, now I feel like it's a little bit different when we ask, but it was so nice to have her on there. And of course, having the perspective of artistic director is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Julie is episode 22, 22. <laughs> so definitely worth going back. That's an early episode for us. Yeah. yeah was, uh, early days of conversations on dance. It was. Okay. So seven is along the same ABT route. Uh, we had Kevin McKenzie on in episode 65, which for us, again, was like we went through an official channel and they were so lovely to organize um, this with Kevin. And Kevin was so lovely to us and it was just yeah. so fun. <clears throat> he was so easy to talk to. I was, I've never met an artistic director that was so um, 
what's the word? I don't know. There were, there's no air of that to mm-hmm. him. I mean, we were, I was calling him Grandpa Kevin <laughs> to you because it just he's just so like, hey guys, let's let's talk about some ballet now. Yeah. Or and then later, um, he came to one of our interviews in Vail, our live interviews. Mm-hmm. We interviewed James Whiteside with Tyler Peck, and um, James was afterwards James was talking to us and you know we were kind of joking around and Kevin was just there like laughing like he was along for the ride yeah like he he clearly just enjoyed being in James's company so much Mm -hmm. um so it's just uh refreshing that there he really didn't seem to be playing any games and I remember loving that he was there I know that a lot of artistic directors probably come to Vail and come through but that was like particularly so nice to me because James was doing this live event that I think, I don't know, like maybe 30 people were there. You know, it's like a, it's a mm-hmm. smaller room. It's an intimate venue, but he like made sure to go to see that mm-hmm. and support his dancer. And it was, I remember mm-hmm. thinking like that was so nice and James made it great. Um, and that actually, that interview um, was with Tyler Peck and James White said that's a bonus episode from last year in Vail if you want to look for that too. But he makes a joke about, he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that when my boss is here. Like, okay, he, kind of, he kind of roasts Kevin. He did bit. a little bit. And Kevin was just back there laughing. Yeah. It was so he funny. It was hysterical. Yeah, you can tell they have a really great rapport. But it was funny, Michael, because I remember, I mean, we went to, eight, it's 890 Broadway, right? Those are the studios. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we you know, like checked in with everyone. We're like sitting and waiting. It was like very official, you know, and then we got in the room, the conference room they had um, reserved for us and he just came in and we were like really nervous. And then immediately he just like put us at ease because he was just like so chill um, to talk about. And I know that you also have a particular moment from that um, interview that you really like. Are you going to forget what it is? (laughs) Yeah. Um, The interview with James and Kevin? With Kevin when he says that – he tried something and it didn't work and then he acknowledged that oh yeah i don't remember what it was <laughs> <laughs> no it was that we asked him a question about him promoting um through the ranks at abt and oh, yeah. bringing people in and mm-hmm. he acknowledged he said like oh i used to bring people in and then i realized that didn't work because the dancers right. need that motivation to mm-hmm. move up through the ranks and so i changed it right and now it works yeah i mean i just i think that that we often say that that's something that the dance world could use more of. And I think that was one of our first um, interactions with a, a leader mm-hmm. who was willing to admit a mistake, which, of course, how do you improve a company if you can't admit a mistake? You'll yeah. just keep making the same mistakes. Um, so that was really refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. So episode 65 for Kevin. And now I'm realizing we have... <laughs> Three people in the same position. With number six, we have Peter Bull, who's artistic director at Pacific Northwest Ballet. So you can tell we really enjoy, like, um, sorry, enjoy speaking with artistic directors because it's so hard to get them to talk to you often. Like, they don't do tons of interviews all the time. So it's been really great to have so many of them. I wonder how many we have at this point. Do we know? I don't know. We we'll could go. To, we'll have we to go back. Browse through all hundred episodes. <laughs> and figure it out. But it's really great to hear their perspective. And his episode was especially fun, I feel, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, Peter Bull, he was my teacher. He was my idol. It was an incredible experience having him teach me in the morning and then going to the ballet at night and watching him do all these iconic roles like Apollo and Prodigal Son mm-hmm. and Opus 19, things that he kind of 
redefined, um, or at least for his generation of dancers. And he really is someone that taught me so much about how to be as a person too, not merely in the way that he, he, he didn't merely influence my dancing based on his class, but the way that he treated each one of the students, I think it was just, he was teaching you how to be a good person. So definitely I try to bring that into my own life now. So to have him on and be able to talk to him about his career as a dancer and know what he, how he um, runs Pacific Northwest Ballet, what drives him there. I, it was really special personally, but I also think it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like he felt that though from you, you know, like that was why he was, mm-hmm. um, it felt so comfortable for him, I think, because he was just mm-hmm. like reminiscing with an old friend and a student right. that he used to um, teach and I remember him saying like, cause we, we really went through, I mean, that was a longer episode. I think that was one of our longer ones at that time. Mm-hmm. And, but he was so willing to give us that time. So we're like, let's go with it, you know, but right. we did go through his whole career, his, you know, teaching while dancing, like you mentioned. And then there's so much to discuss, um, since he's been at the post of artistic director at PNB for so long now. So there was so mm-hmm. much to cover. And I remember him being like, wow, you guys really did your research. You found right. out a lot. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, very sweet. Yeah, such a great episode. So that's episode 36. And now we move into our top five. Mm-hmm. We're getting, getting there to the top. We're getting there. Do you feel um, the tension? It's building. It's building. <laughs> Even though you wanted to start with number one and count back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm realizing, too, that we have all of these, like, categorized as well. So we could have just done, like, favorite artistic directors. Favorite sure. French people. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, number well, five. Would... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. That would have been. What if there was a, like I don't even know if we, how we even talked to any other French people. What if there was only like one other French person, and, and it then was we like left them out. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. That could that could have gotten real messy. So I'm glad we I'm glad we did it this way. Um, That's hysterical. So number five, mm-hmm. um, we had Alistair Macaulay come on and and give a really broad historical look at um, one of the greatest ballets of the 20th century, George Balanchine's Serenade. And what we loved about this episode was uh, that, of course, Rebecca and I were going to enjoy it. We're both bunheads. We love Serenade. We could watch it all day long and never get sick of it. And I'm sure you felt like you could dance it forever Mm -hmm. and never get sick of it but uh the way that our audience responded to it was a surprise because we thought we were kind of putting out this sort of niche episode and you know hopefully people that are as interested in valley history as we are would enjoy it but instead it really ended up being one of our most popular episodes and people really um dug in yeah that was so surprising to us because it was it is so specific to well, when did they start, you know, wearing their hair down for the um, the three principles at the end of the ballet? What were the first um, costumes? You know, very specific right. things like that. Even the way um, some of the steps evolved, right. things that we talked about. And we're thinking like, oh, you know, people who dance this will find it interesting because they have a connection to the ballet. But we've had so many people that are just audience members being like, Serenade's my favorite ballet. And hearing all this history about it was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Alistair is so fascinating. His knowledge of 
um, dance and ballet is so broad and he can just recall anything at the drop of a hat. So he was able to offer us so much amazing insight into a ballet that everyone loves that, like you said, it's one of our most popular episodes. So that's episode number 30. If you want to check that one out and hopefully um, we'll have Alistair back on to continue some more series like that because it was just so fun to talk about that. So now we move on and our top four are all sort of similar category, which you'll see (laughs) shortly. But um, in our number four spot, we have uh, our, our, Longtime artistic director at the Miami City Ballet, Edward Valella, who we actually did three episodes with. I was just going to say it's kind of cheating because we did three episodes with him. So, <laughs> um, so but there was there was so much to mine there. We had to so really much. divide it up, or it wasn't we were going to get cheated out of you know a really interesting uh, interview if we tried to just box it into like what was your time here, what was your time here, right? So we what what how do we divide it up again? We did what early did years, right? And then specific Um, ballets, I think, was the middle episode. mm -hmm. And then Miami City Ballet was Mm -hmm. the third. Yeah. And we went in with that plan because we knew, we know Edward and we know he loves to talk, which is great. That's exactly what we wanted is we wanted to Mm -hmm. hear all of this information and have it on the record and have it um, easily accessible to people and something that can be saved and preserved. Um, Right. So it was really great to have that time to sit down with him. And I think, I mean... We went to his home for, I think we were there for like three and a half hours, two of which we were recording for. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really a nice experience for us. We hadn't really seen him either since he left Miami City Ballet. So it was so fun to sit down and talk with him. And and I think for us too, it was especially interesting to hear him talk about Miami City Ballet because we were obviously so connected to it. And he hired us there that it felt really interesting to hear him speak about how he approached the role of artistic director um, because that's not really the side we saw. We saw what he did, that sort of thing, but we didn't really know like his thought process, what he was going through for programming, for um, hiring. In fact, you know, all that kind of stuff was just really interesting um, for us to get that perspective from him. And also while he's had some time to kind of reflect on it, you can tell that maybe his mm-hmm. answers are a little different now than they would have been as director at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just like getting to pick your director's brain in a way that, it's impossible or inappropriate to do (laughs) when you you are under their leadership so it was a really I mean I think of Edward Villela as one of the most important dance figures of the 20th century and so that's interesting already but for us of course it was really um, just something that that we were personally invested in to hear um, to have some more perspective for those years that we danced under him yeah, totally. So those are episodes 47, 50, and 51 to hear us talk with Edward. And our number three is Susan Pilar. Um, she's a teacher at the School of American Ballet and the mother of one of our close friends, Zoe Zion, who danced um, in Miami City Ballet with us for many years. And, and who's also been on the podcast. Right. And who's also been on the podcast. And um, talking to Susie was just so fun for us I know for you Michael it was especially great as you know taking her class and knowing her for so long I I mean I I love Susie for so many reasons she's a wonderful coach she's a wonderful teacher but I she's had such a huge influence over my life firstly as a student 
Then she set a couple ballets at, at Miami City Ballet, Slaughter on 10th Avenue and Bore Fantask. Bore, in particular, I worked very closely with her on. Um, and now that I'm teaching, I find that I really look to her as, as the sort of template. Sometimes, actually, I'll catch myself and I like I'm even doing her inflections and, and tones. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm just doing Susan Pilar, Susie Pilar drag right now. This needs to stop. <laughs> like, you can't just I can't just try to cop her completely. Like, but, you know, she just means that much. I think that she's so what she does is so important. And she's shaped generations of dancers. Like yeah. so many people um, have been influenced by the work she's done. I feel like it must be just so crazy for her to, and maybe it's just something she's so used to now, but I feel like if it were me to go and sit and watch New York City Ballet and be like, I taught so many of these people. I helped so many right. of them, shaped them. I'm sure she doesn't think of it that way at all because she's so humble. And But it's just so, it must be a really amazing feeling, especially when she was so important um, to the company as a dancer. And it was so great to hear her talk about um, her time dancing as as well. I'm not sure if we'd really gotten a chance to hear so many of those things that she had to share with us. So mm-hmm. that was really fun and right. a great time. So we enjoyed doing that. That is episode 59. So we're, we are down to our final two. So um, number two, we have another Balanchine dancer, Balanchine ballerina, Patricia McBride, who, I mean, she was just one of the warmest, uh, you know she just has this like effervescent quality to her when you're in her presence you feel like she makes you feel special somehow Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think that's the effect that she had on her audiences yeah that um it was just we could have talked to her for hours and hours um and we didn't have any time that's the thing that I regret the most mm -hmm. about that episode is that so she was um at Miami City Ballet coaching Who Cares? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And um, we were able to grab her just for like 30 minutes. And then we had to go to rehearsal. Um, or I had to go, I think. And and you were able to stay and talk with her a little bit longer. But I did get to talk. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, was it just too quick. Yeah. Too quick. It, it went by really fast. And what, what was so great about Patty was that she didn't know us. Mm-hmm. And immediately opened up. Um and was so, I mean, how many times have people made her talk about Balanchine? Oh my gosh, uh, a million. Sure. <laughs> and I mean, I know that she, like, she's such a generous soul and like she wants to share. Balanchine made her so happy, so I'm sure she's happy to share that love back. But, mm-hmm. you know, she could have easily phoned it in or been like, who are these people? But that she still gave so much of herself and it was such a, a great interview. Yeah, and just smiling the entire time. I don't think she stopped mm-hmm. smiling at all for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so wonderful. And and one thing I really liked, too, is that she talked about dancing with Edward so fondly. Mm-hmm. And so she was episode 29, and then we didn't speak with Edward until episode 50. So it was still quite some time later. And Edward, we asked Edward about Patty, and he immediately popped a big smile on his face and hmm. talked about her so fondly. And we told him that we'd spoken with Patty and that she said these nice things. And he was like, I love her. You know, it was mm-hmm. just such a, you could tell right. that they had such a genuine connection um, mm-hmm. as friends outside of just being a great onstage pair. Right. So again, that's episode 29. Michael, it's time for number one. This was the only one that was really easy for us to decide on. 
<laughs> yeah, because we, we've said this for a long time, um, that our interview with Heather Watts was really just such a special, special moment for us in a number of ways. Firstly, the actual interview that Heather gave um, was so almost brutally honest with her with herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that she would discuss these events that are so private and, you know, a dance career is a very personal thing. You, you give up your life for this. And she was just offering it all out to us with, you know, not knowing us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then immediately after the interview, she said that she had, you know, had a really positive experience and she thinks that what we were doing is important. And she was going to work it out for us to hopefully come to the Vail Dance Festival, which we ended up doing and we are doing again. Um, so not only was Heather so generous in her openness about her own career, but then she was very generous with, um, using her power to help others that, um, she thinks are, were doing something of value Mm -hmm. that, you know, she didn't need to go out of her way to help two total strangers kind of, um, make their mark. Mm -hmm. You know, if we hadn't ended up going to Vail without her and Damien's generosity, there are all these other opportunities that we've had since that we would not have had. So she was just generous in every sense of the word. Absolutely. No, I couldn't have said it any better. It's really, um, was such a touching and we bonded with her. I feel like so quickly and Mm -hmm. in that moment. And so maybe if she, you know, it's really hard. Damien and Heather are so busy during the festival. Um, but hopefully maybe this year we'll be able to snag them for a couple of minutes, hopefully. Um, or maybe afterwards to kind of reflect on it. And, um, they're always doing so much. They just love the coaching aspect of the festival. Oh, Um, they're just on cloud nine there. And yeah, I mean, they're so eager to give back, but they also are just the number one cheerleaders for their dancers. Yeah. They're out there every night, like Mm -hmm. stomping and yelling at the top of their lungs, Mm -hmm. like their support for these dancers as they try these new things. Yeah. I think the first night we were there in Vail last year, um, we hadn't done anything yet. We like just got in and went to the, um, theater for the first night Mm -hmm. of shows and we were standing, you know, in the area. Like, they don't have tickets. They just stand in the back with their whole team. And they're just sitting there so intense. I mean, Heather's, like, fixated on the stage and cheering. Mm-hmm. And um, Damien, too. I feel like he he's he's running around more um, and participating in the show more um, in terms of giving speeches and stuff. So he's not always in that area. But you can well, always find Heather in the same spot, just, like, super zoned in on the shows. and. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful to see. So while we're talking about Vail, um, we are leaving tomorrow by the time this is published. So on Tuesday, July 31st, we're going to be heading to Vail and we're going to be doing six live events um, that will all be recorded um, and then published on our podcast feed. Um, so look out for those. They're going to be really great. We have a lot of um, wonderful guests Um lined up for that and you can visit our website conversationsondancepod.com um, and under upcoming events you can find all of the information about who we'll be talking to um, so if you're going to be heading to Vail you can uh, plan your trip in that way or accordingly and if you're just interested to know what podcasts are coming at you you can um, check that out as well we'll be teaching two master classes while we're there which we did last year as well so much fun for us um, we love being able to 
teach together when we're traveling. It's really fun. Oh, it's uh, so fun. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but it makes it all go by so much easier. And you just feel like you can actually give students um, the level of attention that they deserve. Yeah, it's so fun because we both... No like, one gets left behind. Exactly. We go like kind of opposite sides of the room and during combinations and are able to um, give more corrections and be a little more involved and... Uh, than you can with just one person. So um, that's kind of a unique thing, but we're f- really happy to be able to do that together. And we so often, we have the same opinions on things, so it works out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael, I have a couple of questions for you. Oh yeah, I forgot you were going to do this. Surprise questions. Okay. There's just two. Um, okay. <laughs> is there one particular like experience that wasn't necessarily the interview but like something that we've done for conversations on dance that you feel like was like most memorable or maybe something you felt like you we wouldn't have ever done otherwise or something I, I really think that um getting to have our moment of uh, closure necessarily but that full circle feeling with San Francisco Valley was really Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, important just for life and conversations on dance is what gave us that and I think what, what you talked about how it was just almost eerie to be like the last time we were in these you know had gone past through these doors and and been dancers it was right before we began our career and now we're back right as it's over mm-hmm. and that all just went by in the blink of an eye yeah to kind of have that um no, I just think that was a, a really special thing to, to share together, to reflect on and, mm-hmm. and think about what we have been grateful for during and after our careers. Yeah. Just to rewind for a second, I'm not sure if we mentioned it probably in one episode that we went to, Michael and I both went to San Francisco Ballet School for the summer to, you went two years as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. That's right. And one of which my first year, your second year, we overlapped. We didn't know each other, but we were both there the same year. So those studios, as we were walking through, the studios are the same studios that the company works in and that the school is in. So there were so many memories for us, even just being there 10 weeks total. Um, Right. And with so much excitement that summer courses offer. And I know probably a lot of kids are winding down on their summer courses right now and it's like I'm almost jealous of them I'm working with this one girl that's at P&B right now and she was like getting ready to leave and I was like oh doing a summer course sounds like so much fun I just I love summer programs are like some of the, the highlights of your life I like, know it, I just I'll always remember all the summer programs I went to with such fondness like yeah. they, it was just what you look forward to all year mm-hmm. and so walking through those halls was like bringing us back and like you said Michael that you know, here we were at the end of our career, um, walking through those halls again, but it was as nostalgic as that was. And in a way kind of sad there, it was really great to be able to still be involved in it and be participating. And for me growing up, um, watching San Francisco ballet and that we were in front of that curtain doing pre-performance talks was like, and I mean, I used to, I would always tell my dad, like, we got to go early to get to the pre-performance talks. So, like, I was always, we were always there, you know, to see those um, talks. And so to be doing them, that was really full circle for me. And I think this one, so for me, it's still San Francisco. It's everything you said. And I know it's going to seem kind of random, but when we were talking to Katita Waldo, who is the ballet master at San Francisco Ballet, I didn't tell her this. I should have. I got shy like a little kid. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> but my friend, I loved her dancing. I used to see San Francisco all the time. My friend had gotten me a signed picture. It was her headshot, and she had signed it, like, for my birthday one year. And I had it hanging in my room, like, for years. Mm-hmm. Just like her. And then here we were sitting across the table from her talking to her. It was just, I don't know. It was like, again, it was like a full circle thing. It was so I cool. love moments like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is. And then you have to, I, I think of how you, at that, like the last moment we've been in those studios, what you, what you're, anticip- what you're anticipating coming from your career and then how things end up so different. Right. But that then you end up thinking of all the great things you got to do that you really couldn't have even known. Totally. And how much, in a way, really how much better it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, when you're a kid, you don't understand that you like ballet, but you don't even know because you aren't, you're doing class all day. And we love class. I always love taking mm-hmm. class, but you just don't know how good a ballet feels until yeah. you're doing it. You totally. can't know. It's just so much better than you even think. And it's funny you said that, too, because I don't even think – I mean, I was so singularly focused on San Francisco Ballet when I was there. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think – like, I knew Miami City Ballet probably existed. I had no idea what rep they did. I didn't know how often they performed. Like, I just – nothing. Probably was just like, no, bye. Not even interested. Right. And then I just can't imagine doing my career anywhere else. It was the right, right place. And I think if we can add one more – um, to the full circle. Maybe that should have been the question. What was the biggest full circle experience we had? I think talking to Edward was also a really big yeah. full circle and closure kind of moment for us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to, I mean, that was again, like right after we were done. And so it's just like exactly the moment. I mean, every moment is this moment for me, but uh, <laughs> where you, where you want to just look back and think like, God, that was really great. And I gave myself to something that was important and, mm-hmm that I would never trade for anything. Yeah, totally. Okay, this one's a little hard. Give Who's it to me. <laughs> number one dream person to interview by episode 200? Suzanne Farrell. <gasps> I think it's mine not, too. It's not hard. That's literally exactly <laughs> who I was thinking. Yeah. Right, no, it's no, I mean, of course, but there's so there's many so, others no, too. There's so many guests, but Suzanne, and that would be also for me another full circle. I just don't even know. I would feel like, I don't know. I might be a mess if we interview. I might cry the whole time. That's okay. <laughs> I think we should both cry the whole time. We'll uh, alternate so we can we'll speak in We'll cry in Suzanne's face. <laughs> and she'll a, be like, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> she's not a very sentimental person, so I don't think she'd understand. <laughs> We're the opposite. We're just like... Yeah, gonna cry yeah. the whole time. I know. Yeah. It's like, how many times have we cried on the podcast? I don't know. More than I can count. Um, so Patricia we've been... cries every episode. I know. <laughs> I think it's a tradition at this point. Um, so we've been close to having Suzanne, and we hope that we will get closer. I think it's in the cards. It's, it's in the, in the cards. cards. Um, It'll happen. Two hundred. Yeah. I mean, we have whole hundred episodes together. We got time. <laughs> oh yeah. Whole another yeah. two years in order to make it happen. Well, Mikey, I'm so looking forward to seeing you. Gonna see I'm so looking forward to seeing you. Yay. We have a whole week out there this year. It's going to be great. It's going to be I'm, so much I'm fun. I'm really excited. We're going to be posting a lot on um, our social media. We're going to try to be really good about doing some Instagram stories, too, mm-hmm. um, while we're there. So make sure that you're following us on Instagram at Conversations on Dance. We're also on Facebook. Um, just con- search Conversations on Dance. So keep in touch with us, and we will be sharing all of our fun experiences from Vail and give you a taste of the festival. 
Uh, all right, thanks for joining us, guys. We're so happy that you supported us through 100 episodes of Bunheadery. And we'll hopefully have 100 more and beyond. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.